G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. You can bring life where there is death and you can preserve like salt is a preservative. You can preserve the good in the world. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. This message is another in a short series exploring the idea of Christian atheism. And in this episode, Pastor Jeff is talking about our stuff. Even as a grown-up Christian, sometimes we can sound like a cranky youngster. Don't touch my stuff. To help us with this study, we'll be in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 13 looking at the parable of the bags of gold. Let's get into it now. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, and keep that. Matthew chapter 25. I was reading this past week, MIT graduate, engineer, goes for his first job interview, meets with a human resources guy, and he asks the young engineer, well, on this first job since your graduation, what kind of salary were you hoping to make? And he said, well, I was hoping to make somewhere around 250K a year with benefits. Remember, MIT grad. I love the response. The interviewer said, well, what about this? What what do you say we give you a package of five weeks vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental, company matching retirement fund up to 50% of your salary, and a company car leased every two years? How about a red convertible Corvette? And the MIT grad said, wow, are you kidding? And he said, yeah, but you started it. I I like that. That's kind of cute. The other thing I read was about some guys uh, in the gym. They were in the locker room after the workout, about five or six of them. Cell phone rings. The guy picks it up. And on the other end, there's a voice that says, sweetheart, are you at the gym? Uh, Yes. I'm around the corner at the mall and the mink coat that I've had my eye on for so long has been reduced to $1,500. Can I get it? Well, sweetheart, if it's really the one you want, 1500 is pretty steep, but go ahead. Thank you, sweetheart. And while I've got you on, one more thing. I went by the real estate agent uh, this morning, and that home we've been looking for for so long with the pool, the English garden, the acre of park area, and the beachfront property, the owners have just released it to 450000 Obviously, this is not in California, but $450,000. I noticed we got just enough in the bank account to cover it. What do you think? Sure, honey, if it's the house that you've always wanted, go ahead. Thank you, honey. Bye. Hangs up the phone. The guy closes the flap on the phone, holds it in the air and says, hey, which one of you guys does this phone belong to? (laughs) 
I love that. Don't you like that? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You know why you laugh though, right? You laugh because it's not your money. If it was your money, it wouldn't be funny. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, when it comes to our stuff, we hold on to it pretty tightly, right? Two of the first words you learn as a child are no, and what's the other one? Mine. Now, here's what I want you to see. And I want you to stay with me here. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus, when he speaks in the New Testament, if you do your homework, you're going to recognize that more often than not, he talks about the kingdom of God. That is his favorite topic. And that's a sermon series in itself, the kingdom of God. But when he talks about the kingdom of God, the other topic that he relates to it more often than any other topic is the kingdom of God in relation to your stuff, what you own, your resources. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches all through the New Testament that when someone steps into the kingdom of God, their attitude towards stuff significantly changes. Jesus says your attitude towards your stuff is almost a sign of authenticity, that you're the real deal. We've been in this series called Salt and Light, and we're saying that when we became believers, that there was a transformational work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. No matter how you felt, that transformational work is effective. And that work is so that we might bring the ideal into the real. The ideal being the way the world could and should be. The real is that gloom and doom pessimism the way the world really is. But Jesus said, when you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, how will be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That by the transformational work of the Spirit of God, that you could bring the ideal up there to the real down here. And you could be salt and light and your life could permeate the culture and you could bring life where there is death and you could preserve like salt is a preservative. You could preserve the good in the world. However, Jesus said, for those who ultimately want to bring the ideal into the real, the most drastic change that's going to happen in your life is your relationship to your stuff. And I know of no better passage than Matthew 25, 14, where Jesus says this, Again, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. I want to avoid subjectivity as best I can. I know that's impossible completely, but I want to give you just the facts, ma'am. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, if you're going to understand the relationship between you and your stuff so that you can bring the ideal into the real, there are three words you must remember. And the first word is this. Number one, awareness. He says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, I want to ask you some questions. Okay, young people? If we're talking about the kingdom of God, who is the master going on the journey? God. Okay. (laughs) Who are the servants? Us. To whom does the wealth belong? So you and I, just the facts, have been entrusted with God's stuff. Now, this would be consistent with James chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And in Psalm 124, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And a little known verse comes out of John chapter three, verse 27, the words of Jesus. He says, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. So the logical assumption Jesus makes in the parable is that God created everything. That includes your body. So if you're not happy, you know where to complain. Your ability to work. It includes your temperament and personality and your style, or in some cases, your lack of style. It includes your intellect and your reasoning faculties, and it includes how all of these are related to one another to create the essential you. It all comes from God. Who you are, it all comes from God. So God has created you in this capacity for a reason and a purpose, and all your talents and abilities and the stuff you accumulate originates from him. Let me give you an example. Every senior pastor of a church like this needs a good buddy. And I have one, and I've mentioned him to you before, my good buddy, Mike Masterson. We play some golf together. He's a real entrepreneur, but I want to confess something to you about Mike. Sometimes I don't like him. <laughs> have you ever met somebody that just seems to have everything? He's smart. He's good looking. He has great entrepreneurial skills. I mean, nine out of every 10 businesses that start up fell within the first three years. And here his company's still going strong after seven years. He's got the fastest growing extermination company in the country called Isotech. He's on television, the Discovery Channel, with a show called Verminators. He can sing, he can dance. He's good at golf. He's so good that he's beaten me the last five or six times, which is really ticking me off. And I don't think he understands the salvation implications there. <laughs> but the reason I bring Mike up is Mike is wealthy. But Mike gives so much of his income to the cause of Christ because he believes that everything he has belongs ultimately to God. And the only reason he's in this situation is because God allowed him to be. And God gave him the skills and the intellect and the creativity. And the thing you will never hear my friend Mike say ever is this, I am a self-made man. Now, Dane Johnson took, as I mentioned, my father-in-law and I to a Clippers game a few weeks ago. Well, right in front of us, so we've got my father-in-law, who's a veteran missionary, me, and then another pastor from the community, and Dane Johnson on the corner. He always takes the corner chair. And so right in front of us, there are three guys that had been drinking heavily before they ever got to the game. Now, I don't know, because I've never been a drinker, but evidently, when you drink a lot, you lose your hearing, because you talk real loud. And so... There, and also you lose any kind of, I guess, moral code because they were shouting the profanities. You would not believe the vulgarity coming out of their mouth. And I looked over at Dane and Dane looked at me and Dane's look on his face is kind of like, really? We're going to have to sit through this vulgarity for like three hours? Now, me, I'm more about self-preservation. So I know better than to say anything. But Dane's a pretty big guy. Do you know what Dane did? He talked to them. He put his arm around the guy and he said, look, I know you want to enjoy the game, but you've got young ladies around you and you've got some pastors back here. So enjoy the game, but watch the language, man. And besides that, they'll throw you out of here. And I don't know if that's true, but it seemed to work because the guy did not say another bad word the whole night. I considered that a miracle of Red Sea proportions. It was amazing. <laughs> but I looked over at Dane and I remember the look on his face. It was like, really? Really? I think God looks at us sometimes and says, really? You're a self-made man? You think this money's accumulated by you? And you think you're wise? You think you're self-made? What part did you make exactly? The liver, the kidneys, the intellect, the arms and hands? Which part originates from you? And what Jesus is saying in the first part of this parable is, man, if you have the kind of gift to close a deal or to start a business or to earn a large income, it doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Jesus wants you to see 
that whether you're a mechanic, a plumber, a carpenter, an entrepreneur, a preacher, a musician, a sportsman in food services, whatever it is, he wants you to see that it all came from God. You are not self-made. You might have honed your skills, but even that is a path that God laid out for you and that all your stuff ultimately belonged to him. It has been entrusted to you. That's what verse 14 says. The master comes the kingdom of God is like this. He calls all of his servants together and trusts them with his wealth. And then he goes away. But one day he's coming back and then we'll all be held accountable for the way we've used our stuff. So that becomes the million dollar question. How are you using the gifts God gave you? Typically in America, here's how we spend the money that God gives us as Christians. All right, 24% is spent on housing. Of course, unless you live in California, we know that's a little bit inflated there, right? Or it should be higher. 19% on health care, 22% on recreation and personal needs. That's pretty exhaustive, a wide category there. It could be anything from golf or going to the gym or vacation, recreation, whatever. 15% on food. This is the essential food that you have to eat to survive. And then this last category, 17% on your cars. Now there's one more category according to the Barna report. Something down here that we give 1.5% to on the average as Americans. Do you know what it is? A charity of some kind. Unless you're a Christian, then this jumps up to a whopping 2.5%. 2.5. The average Christian in America gives 2.5 of his or her stuff to God. And according to last year's report, 8% of all Christians in America tithe. Eight and 44% claim to. So we're not only cheaters, we're liars too. <laughs> now hold on a second. I love you. It's okay. Don't leave. This is not going to turn into a legalistic sermon. You're saved by the grace of God through the cross. And whether you tithe or don't tithe, you're still saved. Do you understand that, right? We're not going to go down that path. But there is something you need to understand that the average church member gives 1.5 to 2.5% of his income to the Lord's work. And that one out of every six people in the church, 16% of churches, people in churches in America give exactly zero money to the church they regularly attend. That's amazing. You say, but Pastor Jeff, I don't believe in the tithe. Okay, let's make sure you understand what it is that you don't believe in. What is the tithe? A tithe means a tenth. And usually pastors will quote something like Malachi 3. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. God uses the word tenth, which is the word for tithe. And he uses offering, which is what you give above and beyond the tithe. Now, somebody fights back and they say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's the Old Testament. We're not under the law anymore. Well, let's make sure you understand what you're saying there. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this in the New Testament. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what is the meaning then of Jesus' words in Matthew 5? And here's what he means. Behind every Old Testament law, there is the spirit of the law. And although the letter of the law may 
cease. The spirit goes on forever. So in the Old Testament, when God told the nation of Israel to tithe their income or what they had into the temple, it was to support the priesthood and the work of ministry in the temple. And in the times of Israel, when they did not give the tithe, then the priests went out to do farmland and the work of the ministry suffered. Okay? But there was a second reason, the spirit of the law. He wanted them to tithe so it would be an automatic reminder to them that God owns everything. Whatever you have originates from him. And when you give back the 10%, you're affirming outwardly what you say you believe inwardly. And that is that God has given you whatever it is that you own or possess And you want to give him the very best or first fruits of your life back. It is the spirit of the law. And when you obey the spirit of the law, you affirm that God's the owner. You affirm the first fruits belong to him, but you affirm something that's more important even than those two. And you know what that is? You affirm that the greatest passion in your life is for the expansion of the kingdom of God in your life and on this earth. See, I know there's a part of this message. I don't believe, and I've sat through churches all my life and heard sermons about this. You cannot manipulate and coerce and make people feel guilty to try to get them to give. It never works. Transformation must happen from the inside out. What we all need to be praying for, especially if we struggle with this, is that God renew our passion, that we would want to use our gifts and resources to expand his kingdom here on the earth, that we'd position ourselves that God could use us to a great degree. That's the real problem because where your passion is, Jesus said it, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When Robin and I were first married, we lived in the middle of a cow pasture in a trailer. We had nothing. But you know what's amazing? I still found a way to pay for golf. You golfers understand that. (laughs) Do you know why? I was passionate. Whatever you're passionate about, you're going to find a way to make it happen. It's an amazing thing. Jesus says, I'm going to give you 100, and you keep 90, just give me 10. But not as a legalistic thing, not as a way to earn salvation. As a way to show me the spirit and the condition of your heart. Now, you know the number one question I get asked when it comes to this? Somebody will say, do I have to tithe off the gross or the net? <laughs> Sometimes that's a legitimate question. Well, it's always legitimate, but someone, sometimes some people approach that because they're really honest. They want to know. But usually, the attitude behind it is this. How little can I give and God not get mad at me? But you're missing the point. In the New Testament, you, it's not an obligation. It is supposed to be seen by those whose hearts have been changed as an opportunity to invest in something that really matters in the world, the expansion of the kingdom of God. In 1 Timothy, Paul told the young preacher Timothy this. He said, command those who are rich. Now, who are the rich ones? We are. One billion people in the world live on a dollar a day. Another billion live on two dollars a day. In the rest of the world's eyes, you're the wealthy one. You got a home, you got a car. My goodness, you even have a little house for your car. You're wealthy in the first century context. He says, tell them not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There it is again. Everything ultimately comes from God. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous. In other words, use the stuff God gave you for ultimate good, his purposes in the world. 
Now, my question to everybody in the room is, are you doing it? Are you fulfilling the spirit of the law and giving God the first fruits of your life, the very best, or do you give him? And I'm talking about not only your money, but your talents and gifts, the leftovers after you've finished using them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, what is the assumption there? The assumption is that you actually care that you're going to reap generously. And if you care that you're going to reap a great harvest in the kingdom of God, that means the more you care about reaping a great harvest, the more you're going to sow into the kingdom. If you don't care about reaping a great harvest in the kingdom, then you're not going to sow very much. See, in the New Testament, it's always a matter of the heart. You don't manipulate. You don't coerce. It's a heart change that we need. Because when the heart is changed, things automatically take off. He says in verse seven, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So you don't say, oh boy, here it comes. I got to tithe again. I hate, well, if you're going to do that, I mean, you, you might as, I was going to say, you might as well not do it, but my advice is fake it for a while and then the habit will come. <laughs> and he says, when you give, give cheerfully. That's the Greek word hilarion from which we get our English word hilarious. And I've never seen anybody in this church when the offering plate comes around, put their money in and go, yeah, that felt good. That's what he's talking about because it just feels so good to take what God has given and give the first fruits, the very best back to him that his kingdom might be expanded on the earth. The greatest endeavor that I would have my role to play. And then he says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, if he can trust you with the little folks, he can trust you with a lot. Unfortunately, we need to pause there for today, halfway through this message about how we view our stuff, the things God has given to us. Join me next time to hear the rest of this message. So he's saying there's great power in awareness that all of you belongs to God and to whom much is given, much is required. With Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.